0: They shift him from right to left, play action to that side, rolling,
1: ride, looking, fires to the end zone, kind of made, oh, touchdown. that's a tight end from 15 yards.
0: Welcome to the Bowl Season Stories podcast, Season 3, Episode 7. I'm Nick Carparelli, the Executive Director of Bowl Season, and today we are joined by ESPN sportscaster Matt Berry and former Louisville Cardinal Roman Oban. Also joining us is the Chief Technology Officer and General Manager of Event Dynamic, Andrew Robinson. If you missed any of our previous episodes, you can catch them on Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube, or anywhere else you listen to your podcasts. And if you enjoyed today's show, we'd appreciate you to like, subscribe, and drop a five-star rating. And as always, you can follow all the bowl season news on our website, bowlseason.com, and on social media at Bowl Season. Today's show is brought to you by Sport Radar. Reimagining Immersive Experiences for Sports Fans and Betters. Our first guest is a graduate of Arizona State University. He's been a co-anchor for ESPN Sports Center since 2013 and also hosts its College Football Saturday Studio Show. He's received 11 Emmy Awards and three Edward R. Morrow J- Journalism Awards. Please welcome to the show Matt Barry. Matt, thanks for
2: joining us. Hey Nick, good talking to you, man. Any anything for college football? It's it's the best time of year, and in fact, I'm I'm coming to you from Myrtle Beach, just a short drive from Conway, South Carolina, getting set to call uh, the Coastal Carolina Georgia State game uh, Thursday on ESPN.
0: Excellent, excellent. Well, we know you're a college football junkie. We'll we'll talk about that in a little bit. I want to want to uh, go back in your career a little bit. You've been at this a long time. Uh, pro- but prior to your 10 years uh, that you've been at ESPN, you were a local sports anchor for 10 years yeah. in various locations. Uh, all these uh, metropolises, Lawton, law Oklahoma, Columbia, South Carolina, Wausau, Wisconsin, Dallas, Texas. Tell us about those early stops in your career. What did you learn and how did they prepare you to be a sports center anchor?
2: Yeah, you know what? It's a good question because I'm one of those that that believes in, in working hard and working your way up. And and in this industry, it's really the only way you can go about it. You're not going to come out of college and get right to ESPN. At least that wasn't the case when I graduated uh, from Arizona State in 2001. But those early stops really uh, cemented and solidified my love of college football. Uh, growing up in Arizona, we didn't have an NFL team until 1987 in the Arizona Cardinals. Some would argue we didn't have one after that either, but grew up with Arizona State season tickets. So I was a college football guy. And my first job out of college in the Wausau-Rhinelander market, a lot of the job was covering the Wisconsin Badgers and Barry Alvarez. And so I would drive down to Madison on on day of game for those early 11 a.m. kickoffs and get to see what the Big Ten and the early tailgating that time in the morning was all about. And from there to Lawton, Oklahoma, and that's really where I got a sense for big-time Heisman Trophy National Championship type college football because the two years that I was in Oklahoma, year one, Jason White won the Heisman Trophy and they lost in the National Championship game to LSU in in the Sugar Bowl. Year two, I got to see a running back by the true freshman running back by the name of Adrian Peterson uh, play for Oklahoma and they went and got beat by Matt Leinert and USC in the Orange Bowl in the National Championship. And these are two bowl games that I went to and covered. And I just remember uh, how amazing it was to see this caliber of team week in and week out in these Oklahoma teams. They, I think they beat Texas A&M that year 77 nothing, or some, just something ridiculous. And so being able to see those two teams, uh, those two Oklahoma version teams, uh, play for the National Championship two years in a row in the Big 12 Championship, it really helped guide me into big time college football coverage. And then from there, 2005, I go to Columbia, South Carolina and, and jump up a market size. And that was the season Steve Spurrier took over the South Carolina Gamecocks after taking a year off after being in the NFL with the then Washington Redskins. And so to watch Spurrier, it was, it was five minutes from our station, that was our hometown team. And so to be able to watch Steve Spurrier up close and personal build a program that had been absolutely garbage for pretty much its entire existence to have see him start at the very beginning and build that up into what ultimately ended up being three 11 win seasons uh was absolutely remarkable and so between that so at this point if you're keeping track grew up in the pac 12 covered big 10 covered big 12 covered sec and then i go to dallas um, and obviously the main draw there was traveling with the Dallas Cowboys the pro sports. But I was there when Gary Patterson was building TCU into national power with Andy Dalton and that TCU team going to the Rose Bowl. And so really for the entirety of my career, I've been fortunate enough to be in some of these college football stops where these programs were just starting to build something or were a part of big time college football. And that's kind of the, the path that I ended up taking at ESPN.
0: Well, let's talk about your time at ESPN now. A pretty cool job, I must say, being a, an anchor at at Sports Center, as well as being in studio for the College Football Studio Show, as we just talked about. You worked really hard to get there, uh, and despite how easy you make it look on the year, it's a lot of work. Uh, I understand that, but do you ever stop and pinch yourself a little bit and say, "Wow, what what am I doing here?"
2: Yeah, I started doing that recently um, because you get so caught up in in the day to day and the grind. Uh, my college football season schedule is, I mean, it's six and a half days a week. You know, I'm doing sports Center two days a week on Mondays and Tuesdays. I'm traveling Wednesdays to my site to call Thursday Night college football. You know, Dan Mullen and I call the game Thursday night. We're on the first flight out Friday morning to be back in studio for Friday night college football studio. And then we do it for 16 hours every Saturday. And if you don't take a step back and and realize how lucky you are, then you're going to wake up one day and it's going to be over. And and I think recently I've, I've 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 um had some moments of of clarity of you know going back to the local TV days. And you know then you're living in small towns. You're not making any money you're wondering why you're doing this for a career and then it's to get to this point. And the last thing that you want to do is get to this point and not appreciate it. And so I've really tried to take stock in that over the past couple of years and and, and understand that, that, uh, that we're pretty lucky to do what we do. And, you know, I, I had an incident back when I was in Columbia, I actually came down with Bell's palsy. I don't know if you guys know what that is, but it's a condition where your face gets paralyzed and the left side of my face was completely paralyzed for about a month and a half, two months. I thought I was going to have to give up my career. This was when I was in Columbia. I was in my late 20s. I was just starting to, to build a career. And I promised myself then that if, if I was fortunate enough to get all my feeling back, all my nerve mo- moves back, and I was able to heal, that I would I would change my approach and understand that this, this isn't something that's guaranteed. And so that really helped me along the way as well. But it really is. I mean, we I joke around with our crew all the time. Before the game kicks off on Thursday nights, I'll get in, I'll hit the talk back button, and I'll just joke around. I'll say, guys, remember, we're not landing planes or clipping aorta valves here. We're talking college football, so let's have some fun. And so that's kind of way, the way I've tried to approach it uh, for the most of my career.
0: That's good perspective. Well, you mentioned uh, your time in Columbia a couple times. When you were there, you you hosted Gamecock Extra College Football. In, in 2006, you provided live coverage uh, at the Liberty Bowl. Yeah. That was the first time in Liberty Bowl history both teams topped 500 yards. It was an exciting game.
2: What do you remember about that game? If I remember correctly, I believe that was against Houston. And I believe Kevin Cobb was the quarterback for the then – I believe it was it was Art Bryles, I believe, was the head coach then. It was, it was Bryles or Sumlin, one of the two. But anyway, yeah, I look, again – South Carolina's bowl existence was none, zero, zilch. Like, they, they didn't have anything. And so to be able to watch him, Spurrier, build this program into taking him to bowl games and making it entertaining and the Spurrier offense, and I think Blake Mitchell was the quarterback then, and and just being a part of South Carolina history, I mean, I grew up we can get to this in a minute, but with some bowl games I've been to, but to be on that side of it, when, when Steve Spurrier was, was coaching um, and, and trying to build this thing into something to see how passionate South Carolina fans were. Remember, and, and I, I don't mean to insult anybody by saying this, but a decade ago, bowl games mattered, right? There weren't opt-outs. There wasn't any of that. It was like you play for the bowl game for your program, your town and your team. And I was a part of that with South Carolina and it was, it was special.
0: Now you label yourself as a college football junkie uh, as such. I'm sure you've, you've watched a number of bowl games, probably a yeah. kid growing up had certain emotions about that covered a lot. Any that come out in your mind and maybe I'm going to ask you rank your top three bowl game memories or experiences that you've had.
2: Yeah. It's so growing up in, in Arizona, we have the Fiesta bowl. You know, that was the bowl game of my youth. And I'll never forget, I was a waiter at this diner in Scottsdale. I was a high school kid. And uh, I get a call the guy that owned the place. is like, hey, I know you're a big sports guy, big college football guy. I have two extra tickets to the national championship game tonight between Florida State and Tennessee. Do you and your dad want to go? Well, hell yeah, I want to go. And that was the game, of course, T. Martin was the quarterback of Tennessee. Not Peyton Manning. Peyton Manning couldn't give to the national championship, but T. Martin could.
0: Year after, right? 1998, that must have
2: been. Yeah, that, and that team was loaded. I believe Peerless Price was the receiver and Jamal Lewis was at running back. I mean, that Tennessee team was loaded. And Chris Winkie, the Heisman Trophy winner, he was hurt, I believe. And I think a kid named Marcus Alton started at quarterback for Florida State. But anyway, I remember being at that game um, as a child, uh, being a part of that, watching it from the stands. The festival that I was at, I was at the Nebraska-Florida festival when Tommy Frazier went nuts on Steve Spurrier. Uh, I was there when Notre Dame had Ron Paulus at quarterback. Uh, so those are some of my favorite childhood memories. My biggest bowl game heartbreak. And to this day, if it's still on ESPN Classic, I'll either throw the remote or cry. It was the Rose Bowl 97, Ohio State, Arizona State. We were there, and we were sitting in the end zone where Jake Plummer scored the go-ahead touchdown, the touchdown that we thought was going to win us the national championship. And little by little, Joe Germain, Ohio State quarterback and local Arizona products that ASU didn't recruit, we had Jake, why would you? takes us down the takes Ohio state down the field game winning touchdown with little time left to David Boston. And I still have not gotten over the heartbreak of that Rose bowl, uh, taking the national championship away from us. And then professionally, I think the first year that, that me, uh, Jesse Palmer and Joey Galloway, we hosted coverage from the college football playoff semifinal, uh, between LSU and Oklahoma it was the Joe Burrow team. Uh, it was in Atlanta. It was the Chick-fil-A Peach Bowl. And just to kind of take stock in my career from where I was doing these bowl games as, as local TV to being on the set and doing halftime and the pregame show to the college football playoff semifinal uh, was incredible. And it look, bowl games have always been a big part of my life just because of the time of year they are. And uh, th- those are some, some memories that I have of it.
0: Let's talk about bowl season a little bit more. You alluded to the fact earlier that the, you know, the place that, that a lot of bowl games have uh, on the college football calendar has, has changed a little bit over time. But we you know, we believe pretty strongly and all of our partners at the conferences across the country agree with us that, that bowl games are still really important, right? That the 12 team playoff that's gonna start next year is gonna be really exciting. Like we're, yeah. we're all looking forward to that. But there's 133 institutions that play college football. Um, only 12 get in the playoff. A lot of them uh, on a regular basis can't aspire to be there, but to have something to strive for, to have an opportunity to play in the postseason, to have that experience for the student athletes and go to a unique destination for a handful of days. You, you mentioned that you're, you're calling the, the coastal Carolina game. You see what that program has done in recent years. They haven't been in the playoff, but really cool thing that they've, they've accomplished and that they're building and they're rewarded by these bowl games. What role do you see, Bowl season continuing to play uh, in college football's postseason as a complement to the CFP.
2: I mean, this the game that I'm calling tonight is is a perfect backdrop for this because I, Coastal Carolina off memory, I believe their first year in FBS was 2017, um, and I believe the first year of Georgia State FBS was 2010 2013 somewhere around there. But either way, I think 2013. Either way, these guys aren't going to the college football playoff. But getting to a point where they can play in a bowl game to celebrate the season that they have and have bowl trophies in their facilities means everything. I mean, here's here's the facts. The odds of going to the NFL are slim. Really, really slim. The percentage of player that can go to that next level is very slim. Head coach at Coastal Carolina, Tim Beck, was talking to us yesterday and said, I've got guys that love football, that love to play college football. And it's not knocking them. But they're not a bunch of four and five star guys at the Alabama, Georgia's, LSU's, Ohio States that are going and aspiring to be NFL players. They just love playing college football. And that's where the bowl games come in because bowl games are meant to be a celebration of a season. And it's meant to bring two teams together that might might not otherwise play in some of these great bowl cities that we travel to in some of these great all of them the great bowl committees that put on these bowl games that work tirelessly for a year to make sure that it's a great event for that city and those fan bases and they're every bit of the fabric of college football and, what and you're we- right. a lot
0: of a lot of these seniors most of them who aren't going to the nfl they've been playing football their whole life that's it last game they're ever going to play
2: that's right and doing it one, one more time with your team I mean, look, we we you know you, we can get in hot water working on in college football at ESPN and making a comment about guys opting out or, or you know, not playing and this that and the other and getting ready for the NFL, because people are in this mindset of hey, go get yours, go get yours. But at the end of the day, I mean, if you're Grayson McCall who's been quarterback at Coastal Carolina for it seems like a decade, you bet he's going to want to play one more game, with his program and go out a winner. And I think that's the one thing that we've lost over the years of how special it is to go to these bowl cities. The players get their swag bag. They're doing all the barbecue challenges and all the fun stuff, whatever the bowl might be, and playing one more time. And I called the Music City Bowl last year with Lewis Riddick. We had Iowa and we had Kentucky. Uh, Will Levis obviously opted out. But a guy like Jack Campbell, who played linebacker for Iowa, he played and was a first-round draft pick. Because he just loved Iowa football that much. He wanted to play in one more game with his guys. And I think that's what makes bowl games special. And I really, really hope, I really hope that the expanding playoff and everything in between doesn't damage the fabric of these postseason games. Because when you think about college football from its existence, from when I started growing up until now, it was always get to the Rose Bowl, get to the Fiesta Bowl, get to a bowl game. And, And I don't want the sport to lose that.
0: Shifting gears a little bit, um, it's clear your affection for your alma mater. You've mentioned Arizona State a few times. In reference to that, you you once said, if you pick the right university, there's no question that it can help change your future. Mm-hmm. Can you elaborate on that statement a little bit and maybe tell us how that specifically pertains to student-athletes who might, might choose uh, Arizona State or any school?
2: Yeah, for me, it was what I wanted to do for my career. I grew up playing sports, but I've been the same size as I was 13 years old. So I knew that I wasn't going to go play college sports, but I love sports. I understand sports. I've been around it forever. And so for me, Arizona State, it was right up the road. I was born and raised in Scottsdale. It was in Tempe. But moreover, they had the Walter Cronkite School of Journalism. And I knew some of the alums that have come out of there. And I knew that if I got myself into a good journalism school, with a with a good opportunity to succeed, that would that would bode well for me in my career. And so I think for me, it just it made sense to go to Arizona State. I grew up loving Arizona State, and and it ended up working out for me. And then, you know, for for players and athletes, you know, now it's all muddied by the NIL waters of, of where they can get the most NIL. But I'll bring up Grayson McCall again because he was recruited by everybody this offseason to leave Coastal. And he was like, you know what. I'm good. I love it here. I love playing for Coastal Carolina and ultimately you have to find the right place where it feels like home or it feels like it fits. I've always been the believer with regard to some of these recruits. If you're good enough to go to the NFL, the scouts are paid to find you. And even if, even then Brock Purdy was the last pick in the NFL draft He's the starting quarterback for the San Francisco 49ers who were 2-0. So even if the scouts screw up and draft you in the very last pick, if you're good enough to play in the NFL, you're going to play in the NFL. And I think a lot of players focus too much on where can I get to the league? Where can I get to the league? Well, I'll tell you what. You get four years of college in your life. Four. That's it. Now, some of these players, five, six, COVID year, this, that, and the other. But you get a short period of your life to go to college and enjoy it. Find the place where you're going to go enjoy it. Find the place where you believe that's going to lead you to the best thing that you want to do for your career. Because I mean, I guarantee anyone that you talk to or anyone that's associated with this, they would go back to college for just a year, they would do it. And so find the place that's going to be fun for you, rewarding to you, memories to you, and stop, and, and just wash out all the other garbage and really get down to what's going to matter most when you're looking back on your life 20 years from now.
0: Speaking of which, how how many guys, Matt, you know, 20 years after they graduate, look look back and say, boy, I'd give anything to play one more game versus versus somebody looks back and say, boy, I wish I wish I didn't play in that bowl game. I I wish I skipped it. You don't hear that too much.
2: No, because the NFL career is so short and no one's saying don't aspire to your dream if your dream's always been in the NFL. But we saw it and I hate bringing this up, but look at Nick Chubb on Monday night. I mean this kid's 24 25 years old he don't, we don't know if he's going to play again how should like the 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 window to succeed in that league is so small you don't want to look back after your playing career is over and have any regrets and and unfortunately we we live in now in a society that's right here right now gimme 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 and I don't think any of us the present company included look further down the line and and if we focus too much on what's good for me right now, and maybe at the end of the day, five years from now, that probably wasn't the best decision.
0: Yeah, agreed. Last question for you. Um, you've reported on a lot of interesting events throughout your career, none more interesting probably than the Scripps National Spelling Bee. We're gonna have a, a little bit of fun and, uh, and okay. test your spelling skills. But before that, how was how being a host for that event? That must've been a lot of fun.
2: No one believes me when I say this. It was my favorite assignment at ESPN in the 10 and a half plus years I've been here. It was so much fun to be able to host that for two years. And the kids, it, it, it is. I mean, being in that room and our set was always, it was up top with the ballroom and the seats and the stage behind us. You know what's going on. Behind. It's quite, I mean, it is, it's, it's, we had the year where I think eight kids won it because they couldn't knock these kids out in the playoff rounds and the sudden death, they couldn't knock them out. And so they kept going. And and I know we know the, like the word list and the level of the word list and Paul Leffler was our, was our analyst. And he's like, Matt, you have no idea how deep they are in the word list. And these kids can't be beat. And so finally they said, hell with it. You guys beat the dictionary. Congratulations. You all win. But it it was a great event.
0: All right. I'm going to throw a word at you. Okay you could spell it and I, and if you need it, I, I get, you know, I'm not, I'm not, you know, I'm not Matt Barry hosting this event, but I, I am prepared with uh, the definition and I could use it in a sentence for you if you need it.
2: Love it. Okay. I'll, I'll use all, I'll use all um, uh, stuff necessary.
0: All right. The word is succedanium. Succedanium. I would love the definition. A substitute or replacement usually for medicine.
2: Okay succedanium sucks okay succedanium I know this is good for a podcast when' we're silence all right succedanium s u x a d a n i u m succedanium
0: there's a lot of 10-year-olds that probably would have beat you in that one. Uh, there, there's probably about four spelling errors in that one. I hate to tell really? you.
2: Really? Well, that was, that's why I was hosting.
0: It's it, Exactly. Uh, S-U-C-C. C-C. E-D-A-N-E-U-M.
2: Uh, whatever. Look, that's why the kids hey, are smarter than me.
0: Hey, that's not how you make your money. Everybody's got their strengths. It, you know,
2: S-U-C-C is- makes sense now. But you, you look at, like, uh, medicine bottles. There's a lot of X's on there. Yeah, that's true. That's yeah. It. That's, yeah.
0: Well, either way, Matt, thanks so much for your time. You're, 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 uh, it's a pleasure watching you, uh, on, on sports center coloring, covering college football. You're, you have great energy. Um, really appreciate everything you do to promote the game of college football. You're really an asset to, uh, to all the viewers who watch it and appreciate you being on the show with us.
2: Yeah, anytime, and thank you guys for, for getting bull stories out there because, again, it's, it's a heartbeat of our sport. And my apologies for my hotel in Myrtle Beach backdrop, but that, that's what we got today.
0: Yeah, no, very appropriate for your job on a Thursday night. Thank you. you Take back. care.
3: The forecast for this tax season? It's going to rain refunds, lots of refunds. File for less and get more with Tax Act, the official tax filing software of bowl season. Go to taxact.com to get started today.
0: Our next guest played 12 years in the NFL, including a Super Bowl championship in 2003 with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. This former two-sport athlete at the University of Louisville currently serves as the NFL's vice president of football operations. Please welcome to the show Roman Oban. Roman, thanks for joining us.
1: Thanks for having me, Nick. How's everything going today?
0: It's it's going well. It's good good to see you, my friend. I want to I wanna start out by going way back uh, to your childhood. When you were four years old, you moved from Cameroon to Washington, D.C. with your mom. I know that was a long time ago, but what do you remember from those early years, and what was it like to make such a major cultural change at, at such a young age? I, I can't imagine that was easy.
1: Well, I remember uh just being sick I was you know like pre-kindergarten or something like that I just remember being sick because I, I came here in January and obviously the weather in, in Africa is uh is is very warm uh all throughout the year but but just not liking the cold and just kind of being homesick and and you know missing my grandparents my mom was trying to finish school and so I spent a lot of time with my grandparents back then so you know coming to a new country single mom um you know, that whole thing was, was always had its own challenges growing up in an urban environment. But like, I remember just the cultural uh, part of it for me was like learning how to speak English. And I remember uh, all the jingles from all the, uh, uh, all the TV shows, like happy days and all that stuff. And I remember like, I actually learned how to speak English, like watching television. So all those eighties, eighties TV shows, (laughs) I remember Barney Miller, Taxi, all those jingles were still in my head as a kid, but like, that's how I kind of Remember that that part of my childhood. That, that's interesting that 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 as a teenager you worked concessions at
0: Redskins games. Now, although you never got to play in that same stadium where you worked, uh, I think it was RFK Stadium. Was there a ever a moment when you were in the NFL where you kind of looked around, and said, I, "I I made it," you know, when you played the former hometown team for the first time, saying, "Wow, I used to work there in one capacity, and now look what I'm doing."
1: You know, it's funny because um. I would I would just get cursed out by the the concessions manager because I would always cash out at the end of the third quarter and um and so I can watch the game and, and you know in the 80s the, you know the Redskins obviously they were called at the time were pretty good and so I remember playing for the Giants um, my rookie year was the last year of RFK Stadium um I was a rookie I didn't you know play special teams uh I so won the game I didn't dress and I remember pulling up the buses and seeing the people that were concessions you have to show up with your badge like 11 a.m. two hours before kickoff i remember the manager like just him just you know yelling at some teenager for the same thing he was probably yelling at me for you know 10 years before or however many years ago was that so um it was it was just i got to chuck a lot of it and i wasn't able to like walk over and say "Hey, you remember me good to see you but i just kind of we're, we're getting ready for a game so but I'll, I'll never forget that and then obviously the next year fedex field opened in 97 and it was a different you know chain of events altogether. but um going home and, and, and having to buy all those tickets and, and going through that whole process was always, uh, it was always nostalgic because like, you don't, every kid growing up in a major city wants to play for that team, just like any kid growing up in Alabama or wants to play for Alabama or every kid in Atlanta wants to play for the Falcons, but you just never see the reality of it until it happens. And then at that point, you know, your family's happy for you, but you're, you know, you got a job to do. So it was, uh, it was always awesome, you know, playing Washington or even playing Baltimore because your family, you know, was able to, coming in large numbers <laughs> so i remember those ticket prices uh real quick fedex field was the first hundred dollar ticket when the stadium opened in like 97 wow. now every ticket's like 250 yeah, bucks it is, cheap now. yeah so it's uh you know you get 25 tickets yeah, it's 2500 bucks off your, your your next paycheck uh but but you know you want your family to see you play live and, and stuff so that that's all good
0: I, I can't imagine how many differences there are between those two jobs. I'm guessing now that I've learned this, the biggest difference is when you played in the NFL, knowing you as a player, you did not cash out after the third quarter. I'm pretty no, sure. No, I did not.
1: Fourth quarter is the most okay. important <laughs> for sure.
0: Let's talk about your college days. It's specifically in 1993 when Louisville played Michigan state in the Liberty bowl. I, I, I know you were injured for that game, but you made the trip with your team. I know you have some stories from that week in Memphis.
1: You know, it's interesting, that season, that was like, so that was my Richard sophomore year, um, and that's the year that I kind of came to prominence as a, in terms of confidence as an offensive lineman. Um, unfortunately, got injured like week seven, um, and then they had to reshuffle the line, but the, you know, we had a good quarterback named Jeff Brom, I'm not sure if you ever heard of him. Uh, he's now head coach at Louisville, obviously. Pretty well. And we had some some players that ended up in the NFL in that team, but, you know, if you're injured during a bowl game, you still have to have a job to do, And 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 at that point, I was I'd broken a tip fit, but I was out of a cast already at that point, and and moving around pretty decent. But I had to dress up as Santa Claus when the people got their bowl gear, and literally had to like roast everyone that walked up. I had to make some funny comment. And Coach Stellenberger walked up to me maybe an hour before, saying, "Hey, I think you'd uh, be a great Santa Claus." And, and people said you have a great sense of humor, and and uh, you, that's your job basically. And I was like, "Are you serious?" So literally, that's eighty eight guys on scholarship plus walk-ons and coaches like literally everyone had to walk up and get their thing so it was uh uh there was another guy that was he was like the elf so he had to wear the stockings and stuff so he was a little more embarrassed to, uh, to lose his main card so to speak back then you know uh, you, had the,
0: you had the better assignment better to be yeah santa.
1: I, i'll take santa claus the suit was hot but i'll take santa claus over the elf any, any day of the week
0: But well, you were a busy guy in college you were, you were a student members of both the football and the track team uh, vice president of Alpha Phi Alpha. How did you balance it all? And what do you think is the most valuable lesson you learned about leadership from those experiences?
1: I think walking in to college, um, you know, I went to Gonzaga in D.C. and then went to Fort Union Military Academy for a year of prep school. Um, just, I was always really active. And, and I think I, it was important to me to just create balance because you're only focused on football on the field two hours a day, however many lifting meetings meetings um sorry about that um you're only focused on on football a certain amount of time uh, a day And, and and obviously academics you have to weave all that in but I think being involved civilly like civil involvement civil engagement volunteering um when I was in in junior high school I was exposed to the alpha chapter at Howard university. They would do like the step shows and they would, they did a lot in the community. So, and I thought it was only limited to, you know, Howard university. So when I got to college, I was like, Oh man, they have a chapter here too. And there were three or four guys on the team that were alphas as well. So it was pretty cool. Um, And I think a lot of football coaches don't want players to be on the team and join fraternity because of fraternity pranks and you know I get injured or doing something stupid. So I always made sure, um, there was balance in terms of things that I would do. And, and and obviously you don't ever want to put yourself in a position to get in trouble or anything on campus or doing something silly, but uh, it gave me the balance that I needed because I always was involved and in, I was in the first student athlete activities board. I think they call it SAG now. I mean, they still have it. So I represented the, the students. Um, I was in an academic all conference every year. And, and so all those things that were important to me. And, and it, and I think I wanted to show by example that you could be a great football player and still do well in the community still do well, um make sure you have friends in your class that aren't on the team um and so now that it's funny 30 years later so athletes are more they have more of a voice they're more encouraged to to do other things and and what are they really you know interest that they really care about but there wasn't there was a culture that i grew up in where you really weren't encouraged to do that it was all about football and that was it and so anyone that did anything outside of that it was like well your grades better be good or you better not drop any balls on third down because then people say well you're doing too much stuff on campus and you're not focusing in too much so I think I was glad and then even being an offensive lineman um, I was glad that that I was able to create that balance for myself
0: well that was obviously a mindset that you had you know and, and continue to have throughout your life I found it interesting to learn that you took graduate courses each NFL offseason towards a master's degree in public administration from Fairleigh Dickinson Tell me what the driving factor was in, in seeking your master's degree while being a professional athlete.
1: So I was a fifth-year senior and I was in grad school my senior year. And, and you know, in, in college, you, you got to take those classes just so and get still get your scholarship, your housing check, or you know, whatever that is. And so when I got to the NFL, I realized there was a there was a program that it was called player development at the time that for really it was for guys that left early um that want to finish school. So every every NFL team had a, a joying uh college that they partnered with to help guys finish school it was typically where they would have their training camps um, back then when most, most, most NFL teams have training camp all at their facilities. Now majority of them do, but so fairly Dickinson was at school for the giants that they would use. Um, and the three credits I had three classes I had in, in public administration, they all transferred. So I didn't have to take the, the, the GMAT. Um, and it was, for me, it was just keeping that college schedule because the off season you know, I, I tell people all the time, and as an NFL player, you have a lot of free time in the offseason. I mean, you can go to Vegas and South Beach every other weekend and do all that stuff, or you can go back home and. Have, but I, I I like that schedule of like working out, you know, AM group. I'm done at noon, taking classes, you know, Tuesday Thursdays. And I had a Saturday class uh, for like five weeks, and so it just kept my my schedule kind of balanced with the working out and, and going to school, just like I was in like I was in college and, you know, playing for the Giants and being from D.C. Um, if I need to get home to see my mom or whatever, I, I was home in three, three and a half hours. The tricky part was when I signed with the Browns, I still had two classes left. And so that off season, um, I had a, it's funny, I had a Tuesday class and a Thursday night class. They moved, it was only five of us in that class. and And I got everyone to move the class to a Saturday. So for like nine weeks, nine or 10 weeks, I would work out all week and either fly or drive to new jersey from cleveland like every week so take that thursday night class and the saturday morning class and fly back and finish my off-season workout so you know off-season starts in like march so i had had like you know five weeks into the semester six weeks or so before i started doing that and then that march the may period is when i was doing the the back and forth so it just honestly showed a commitment level and and um ironically there was an article in new york times about guys going back to school and i had no idea that i was one of one of two players in a 10 year span that actually went back and got a master's degree during his career. So wow. um, it hit the New York. I had no idea. I literally had no idea. It was me just trying to create balance in my schedule. With, with I would anybody. imagine
0: more, there's a lot more guys now, and maybe a lot of them were inspired by by guys like you doing
1: it back then. Yeah. And and now with, with the way kids are transferring, you, you actually have, you have less juniors coming out um, because of NIL and, and transfer portal and you have more fifth year guys. So you, you actually have a higher percentage of football. Um, and one thing people don't realize, football out of any other sport has the highest percentage of guys with degrees. than basketball, certainly, baseball, they all come through the farm system. They don't all finish college. So that's one thing, that's a story that, that's never told enough, hmm. that football players actually have a higher graduation rate across the board than any other sport. And so when you talk about time on campus, if you're on campus for eight, you know, 10 semesters, you could socially adjust better. You're dealing with different people. You're paying your your rent and you, versus by the time you get to the league, like you're just more socially adjusted. I, I think I've seen it because cities that I played in there, you know, there were NBA guys, too. And then you hang out with those guys and these guys are like 20 years old. They got two guys living with them. Sometimes their mom or dad if they're younger. And so I'm like, golly, I, I can imagine being 19 being in the nfl (laughs) and playing a sport like that an individual sport like basketball and and having to like move my families just because i'm not mature enough to do that stuff on my own so i I was glad that 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 for me by the time i was 23 and 22 i got the nfl i was i was pretty well socially adjusted And you also served
0: as the national football league players association team representative for three teams over your seven years yeah. And you hear that from time to time, sometimes and during a broadcast, I'll mention someone's the NFL PA rep, but you, I certainly read it. A lot of people may not know what that enta- entails. Tell our listeners what it does entail and a little bit about the duty of the NFL PA.
1: So first of all, there's a, there's a collective bargaining agreement that most people know about in the NFL. Um, every time the deal is up, there's always a lot of stories about, is there going to be a, uh, 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 a player's going to sit out or what have you. Um, so every dollar that comes in the league, 48 cents goes to players, goes to salaries, goes to benefits. And so as a player rep, it was my responsibility on the team to just let them know um, what their benefits were or if someone had to file an injury grievance uh, against a team or just any any administrative information. And I think for me, it kept even within as an NFL player, it just gave me a responsibility that was bigger than just the job I was doing. Cause some guys have questions and some guys don't, I mean, most adults don't read all their insurance stuff or, you know, unless you owe a bill that you are, how much do I owe and why, but it it was important to me to just, just use my resources and be a vehicle for guys in in the room, in the locker room. And I was always voted on. Um, It was only, it was always two people on every team that had a player rep. So it, it became about practice guidelines and things you couldn't do, you know, some new coaches, Back then, we're doing crazy drills and and practicing it, having illegal walkthroughs indoors and some of those things um, back then. But now, it's it's a better system now than, than it existed, obviously, twenty years ago. But it was something that I, I I felt really good about, and even now, as a former player, I still get former guys calling me about, hey man, I'm about to turn fifty and this annuity thing, is it, is it, can I pull it? Should I wait till I'm 55? Like, what do you think? And I'm like, Hey man, I'm not a financial guy. I'm not giving you financial advice, but here's an 800 number to call. It's the same one I would call to find out my benefits. And, and so I still almost like serve that same capacity for guys, especially at this age where, you know, guys care about some of those things as you're getting up there and, you know, in the middle ages or so.
0: You've been a part of some major discussions surrounding sports and their larger, larger societal impact. Do you have any thoughts on the societal impact of college football specifically?
1: Well, I, I think if you look at the context of, um, um, I don't really plug a lot of books, but there's a book now, just, I, I read it called common enemies. And it talked about the the transformation of college sports in the eighties through Georgetown basketball and, and Miami football. And so, and talked about what was going on at the time, you know, the, the crime and some of those things and how that in the racial transformation and what led to like the fab five in Michigan and, and, you know, the, and the celebrating and, and all those things. And so, um, it's I think growing up in a in a cultural environment that um that breeded like players not having a voice. I'm glad players like have a voice now. Um, and what was the second part of that question? Uh, I'm sorry that you asked. No,
0: that? it's just about the, the societal impact of college yeah. football. And
1: so, yeah. And so um, I think there's two voices here. There's one that says, you know, the shut up and dribble term that you've heard and, and players shouldn't shouldn't speak up for political things and things. Have, I mean, I think culturally things have gotten politicized and any opinion becomes a political opinion, but it, it's, it's, I, I think it's a badge of honor that you have as a pro athlete, that you're not just a person on the field. Um, I think there's a, there's, there's a place where you just have to have balance between if This is, is important to me. Um, if I'm from, I don't know, Jackson, Mississippi and, and or, or, um, you know, wherever, and, and there's things that are important to my community and I'm raising money for that. I'm raising awareness for that. And because at some point football is going to be over and I'm still going to have to deal with issues in my community. You don't ignore those things because uh, you're, you're you're a pro athlete. So I'm glad that a lot of athletes now are are, are bringing awareness to things that are just important to them um, because I, I, I think sports does play a role. Uh, sports was always considered the distraction from your week and look forward to the, the Monday night game or look forward to final four or what have you. But I'm glad that athletes, you know, at least understand their voice that they can exercise. They can all volunteer and do some community service. They can all, you know, do something. Um, I just think because of the way the the country is, is consuming information, it's almost like, well, we don't want to hear that because you just, you need to just play sports. And I I don't, I don't agree with that. I think athletes should use their voices for good and, and for meaningful purposes.
0: Last question for you. Your career is obviously, uh, revolved around football. Uh, and it continues to be. Tell me about your current position as the vice president of football operations for the NFL.
1: Uh, thank you. It's so it's. Uh, I came to the league in 2015 uh, as director of player health and safety, and we were, were were tackling kind of the, the the concussion issue and and doing research around you know why kids aren't playing and you know what's the negative narrative and how do we combat that with how the game has evolved, and so that that kind of evolved into you know youth high school strategy and into the more broader football development. So. Uh, I help lead um, the college outreach um, initiatives, uh, how we educate players on college campuses uh, in locker rooms about eligibility and leaving early and things like that. Um, you know, I'm the liaison for the league as far as like the All-Star Games, the Senior Bowl, East West Shrine Bowl, you know, the Combines, you know, focusing on player experience and, and just the business strategy behind these initiatives. I'm sure you've seen a lot of girls flag uh, initiatives from the NFL standpoint and getting girls hopefully as a sanctioned varsity sport in many states. So, Strategically, I'm 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 behind the scenes on leading a lot of that strategy of just from our building's perspective. So, it's it, it's good work. It allows me to use the range that I've you know had as a college student. I was just an econ major and a public admin major. You know, they always tell people there were no sports admin back in the '90s and 2000s. You either had to go business school, communications, education, or what have you. But it, it allows me to use like all the things that I've done just process wise and 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 just paying attention to things that are going on and and I, I brought it all to use in this in this role and i think it's an important role and, and I, i'm glad that i'm I'm able to serve in that capacity uh off the field uh after after my football playing days
0: well roman we really appreciate your time i you're uh you're a really interesting guy I've, I've enjoyed your stories um i think what i enjoyed the most is seeing your personality come out i gotta tell you the first time i met you it was a it's a more serious setting and and when you when you have a relaxed face, it's it's a mean looking face. I remember thinking to myself, God, if I if I was across the line from this guy, I, he's got the edge right before the balls even snapped. So I don't know. No, I don't no know helmet, no eye black
1: today. today, so I'm I'm uh, all all smiles, all good.
0: <laughs> well, we really appreciate your time. Thanks for thanks for everything you do for the game of football. Thanks for all your mentorship. Uh, you're really an asset uh, to the game and all the people that are around you. And really appreciate you joining us on the show.
1: No, my pleasure. Anytime. Thank you so much. Thank you. All right.
0: Our next guest is the chief technology officer and general manager for event dynamic. Please welcome to the show, Andrew Robinson. Andrew, thanks for joining us. Thanks, Nick. Good to see you, Andrew. You and I are both big college football fans. It's easily the second most popular sport in the U S behind only the NFL. So much goes into the fanfare of a college football game day, the tailgating, the student section, the band, the school colors, You've been to a lot of college football games. Explain what the atmosphere is like for you personally and the emotions you feel when you walk into a full stadium on game day.
3: Yeah, yeah. Thanks. Nick. I mean, uh, just kind of
0: in short, it's the best,
3: right? So like, I went to the LSU Alabama game last year in Baton Rouge, and it was my first game uh, ever in Baton Rouge. I don't know if you've been to that stadium or seen that environment, but the atmosphere is absolutely incredible and it's everything right it's the people it's the food it's the tailgate as well as that in-game experience and i got to say it was it was a lot of fun i had never been so i was eating things i'd never heard of like jambalaya and and boudin balls like things that i actually didn't even know what they were when i was eating it but it was incredible right and all the people were so energetic they're so excited just to just to be there just to root on their team and it was a great great environment right and some of those setups are are absolutely incredible you have people coming in from hundreds of miles away and and making that the main event of the weekend so I mean I I gotta say as a longtime Chiefs fan I love the tailgate I love that experience and uh you know seeing that in Baton Rouge was just was just awesome so I I really enjoyed it but then you know it actually got better right because you get into the stadium and every seat is sold I have no doubt I mean this is LSU versus Alabama last year Brian Kelly's first year uh, playing against Nick Saban. Obviously, you have a history there, right, where it's really, really a big deal for LSU fans and and Alabama fans too, right? So uh, just an incredible effort by both teams. The game was awesome. Uh, I was watching it. And everybody's just losing their minds. It's going back and forth. And, of course, uh, LSU goes for two at the end and wins the game. You should have seen the place. I mean, grown men. Are running around screaming their heads off like adults. People that you're looking at, you're like, you know, who like who are these folks that are just screaming, yelling, going, running on the field, storming the field at the end of the game. I mean, it was amazing, right? It was the experience beforehand, the actual environment during the game, which is, I mean, it's unparalleled. It's Saturday night in Death Valley. Like you, you really can't beat that kind of experience. And then that sound, right? So the second. Uh, that Mason Taylor catches that football and wins the game, absolutely incredible. So just, I mean, honestly, incredible experience uh, all
0: around. Well, not a surprise to hear that the uh, Alabama LSU game was it was a sold out with that kind of atmosphere. That doesn't always happen everywhere. You know, filling the stadiums is becoming more and more of a challenge across all types of sporting events. So much competition for the entertainment dollar. And let's face it, the television options have made it pretty easy to simply sit at home. On your couch and watch the game. So, there's a lot of pressure on event organizers to generate enough revenue to put on the event in the first place. Uh, but then, in addition to create the type of in stadium atmosphere that we all wanna see. At Event Dynamic, you utilize artificial intelligence technology to optimize the ticket prices for live events in an effort to maximize the revenue and increase the attendance. Tell us how you do that and what are the benefits to both the event operators and the fans? Yeah, that's right. Today, I mean, there's more competition for folks'
3: attention than ever, right? So the question is, how do you find those fans and bring them into your stadium? Uh, You know, at Dynamic, we would say that perfect pricing goes a long way to helping that out. We use artificial intelligence, as you're saying, to price tickets, and it can go a long way to helping create that experience. Uh, So just a little bit of backstory we were in 2018 to try and give more control back to those event operators. Uh, cause in some cases, you know, those really, really big events, those tickets might've been underpriced and there was room for arbitrage. There's folks buying those tickets, marking them up and everybody sees them on StubHub, up and they're like, Oh my gosh, look at those prices. Right. So uh, you see things like that. You also see some events where perhaps there was lesser, lesser demand and, uh, you know, that you have kind of the opposite effect. And, and in either case, you have an ability to either maximize for revenue or push for more attendance using our technology, right? So enter event dynamic, we're going to optimize for those two things. We're also going to price season tickets as well to try and, and make that difference. Cause let's face it. The games all have different values. You're, you're absolutely right. Point out LSU, Alabama. That is a pretty easy sell. Everybody knows that's going to be a big game. Everybody's expecting that to be a big game uh, and every year, but, you know, some of those week zero games some of those other games where you just don't have the same matchup you know the fan base isn't necessarily going to get as excited it is a harder pitch right? it's harder to get folks in the stadium that's where pricing can come into play to help map that uh, you even see it in the bowl games too right so like a new year six bowl might have a, a better matchup one year than than the next year right it all all changes and changes with the story arc of every team right because some teams have Won multiple championships. Some teams have, haven't been to a championship, haven't been to a playoff in so long. There becomes this pent up demand that can really, really explode. I mean, just look at like a Colorado, right? You think about that if they go to a bowl game, like what bowl game they go to this year. I mean, I think everybody's rooting for them. I think everybody wants to see them because that would be just an incredible experience, incredible tick. And it's been, you know, it's been a while since they really had this kind of enthusiasm behind them. You know, so those values are going to change dramatically. That's why you need artificial intelligence pricing your tickets. Uh, I can give a couple more examples. I mean, you look at like University of Kansas last year. They start off and they go, they win. I think it was four games in a row after having had, you know, some challenging seasons before that. The demand exploded for that product, right? It's absolutely incredible. See, and pricing moved to map directly to that demand. And it was extremely, extremely successful season for those folks. Uh, We saw with uh, the Fiesta Bowl as well last year, you know, TCU gets announced. And on that announcement, the incredible uh, just demand and amount of people that are watching the Selection Sunday broadcast, what do they do when they see that, hey, TCU is in it because Michigan has already decided before? Well, they go out, they buy tickets. They go buy tickets immediately. And that's why you need a system that's constantly optimizing those price points to bring as many fans in across the entire stadium uh, as you can. And it's not just those high demand games. You have those scenarios, but you also have these other scenarios where maybe you're pushing for attendance. We optimize for that too, because we understand that there are those different goals and different pressures that are being put on organizations.
0: Well, Andrew, we really appreciate that insight. So much goes into the business of sport. People watch the great game on TV, but the atmosphere plays such an important role in what you guys do uh, to enhance that game day atmosphere is really a really big part of the game. So we appreciate your, your time today. We appreciate your insight. We appreciate everything you do to enhance the game of college football. So th- thank you, Andrew, for joining us. I appreciate it, Nick. Take care. Well, that'll do it for this week's podcast. Today's guests were brought to you by Tap it. Understand how going cashless builds loyalty, engages fans, and boosts your bottom line. If you missed any of our past episodes, you can catch them on Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube, or anywhere else you listen to your podcasts. And if you enjoyed today's show, we'd appreciate you to like, subscribe, and drop a five-star rating. And as always, you can follow all the Bowl Season news on our website, bullseason.com, and on social media at Bowl Season. Thanks for listening.